0: Encyclical Letter Qui Pluribus, On Faith and Religion, by Pope Pius IX. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Qui Pluribus, On Faith and Religion, November 9, 1846. The Encyclical Letter of Our Lord by Divine Providence, Pope Pius IX, to all Patriarchs, Primates, Archbishops and Bishops. Venerable Brethren, Health and Apostolic Benediction We who during many years past were striving together with you, Venerable Brethren, to fulfill to the best of our powers the episcopal charge, that charge so full of labor, so full of solicitude, and to feed that part of the Lord's flock committed to our care in the mountains of Israel, amid the streams and fruitful pastures, have been, in consequence of the death of our illustrious predecessor Gregory the Sixteenth, whose memory and whose illustrious and glorious deeds, written in letters of gold on the records of the Church, posterity will always admire, quite contrary to all our thoughts and expectations, and with considerable alarm and trepidation, by the hidden designs of divine providence raised to the chief pontificate. For indeed, if the charge of the apostolic ministry is justly esteemed, and even to be esteemed one of danger and importance, more particularly is it as a matter of dread in these most difficult times for the Christian Republic. Hence, fully conscious of our own weakness, And contemplating the most weighty duties of the supreme apostleship, particularly in the present critical state of affairs, we should have wholly given up ourselves to sad sorrowing and tears had we not placed our hope in God our salvation, who never deserts those hoping in him, and who in order to display the strength of his power, chooses even the weakliest for the government of his church, that all may more and more learn that it is God himself who rules and defends his church, by his admirable providence. Our consolation is that we have, as companions and helpers, you, venerable brethren, who called to share our solicitude, endeavor with every care and earnestness to fulfill your ministry and to fight the good fight. Hence, when first, though undeservedly placed in this sublime seat of the Prince of the Apostles, We received that important charge bestowed in the person of Blessed Peter, by the eternal prince of pastors, of feeding and ruling not only the lambs, namely the universal Christian people, but also the sheep, that is, the bishops. Nothing was more sought for or desired by us than that we might address you all with the deepest feeling of affectionate charity. Wherefore? scarcely have we, according to the usage and custom of our predecessors, taken possession of the Supreme Pontificate in our Basilica of St. John Lateran, then we address unto you without delay this epistle, in order to inflame your profound piety, so that with even greater alacrity, vigilance and earnestness, keeping the watches of the night over the flock committed to your care, and with the strength and constancy of bishops fighting against that most hideous enemy of the human race, strenuously, like good soldiers of Jesus Christ, you may set up a wall for the house of Israel. None of you, venerable brethren, but must be aware that in this our deplorable age, a fierce and formidable war is waged against every portion of Catholicity by those men who, linked in nefarious companionship, not enduring sound doctrine and turning their ears from the truth, dig out from the darkness every monstrous shape of opinion and endeavor with all their might, to exaggerate and disseminate them amongst the people. We shudder indeed with horror, and are bitterly affected with sorrow, when we reflect on all the monstrosities of error, and the various and multiform arts, snares and machinations of mischief, by which these haters of the truth and of the light, and most skilful artificers of fraud, labor to quench in the minds of all men every aspiration after piety, justice, and honesty, to corrupt morals, to confound all rights, human and divine, and to render asunder, to undermine, nay, if such a thing were ever possible, to overturn from their foundation both the Catholic religion and civil society. For you know, venerable brethren, that these deadly enemies of the Christian name, miserably hurried on by the blind force of a frenatic impiety rush forward with such a rash daring of thought that with almost unheard-of audacity opening their mouths in blasphemies against god they blush not openly and publicly to teach that the solemn sacred mysteries of our religion are fables and mere inventions of men that the doctrine of the catholic church is opposed to the good and advantage of the human society they even tremble not to deny even Christ himself and God. And the more easily to delude the people, and particularly to deceive the unwary and hurry the inexperienced along with them into error, they assert that to themselves alone are no the ways of prosperity, and arrogate without hesitation to themselves the title of philosophers, as though philosophy, whose whole scope is the investigation of nature's truth, should reject that which God, the merciful author of all nature, had with singular beneficence and mercy deigned to manifest to men in order that they might attain true safety and happiness. Hence, with a preposterous and most fallacious species of arguing, they cease not to appeal to human reason and to extol it at the expense of Christ's most holy faith, audaciously setting forth that it is opposed to human reason than which conduct nothing certainly more insane, nothing more impious, nothing in fine more repugnant to reason itself can be fashioned or thought of. For although faith be above reason, no real disagreement however, no hostility between them can ever be discovered, since they both flow from one and the same fountain of immutable and eternal truth, the most excellent and mighty God, And so render assistance to each other that right reason demonstrates, protects and defends the truth of faith, whilst faith frees reason from all errors, and wonderfully enlightens, confirms and perfects it by the knowledge of divine things. Nor is the fallacy, venerable brethren, less of those enemies of divine revelation, who extolling with loud-sounding praises the progress or march of human things would with clearly rash and sacrilegious daring thrust into the Catholic religion as if that religion were not the work of God but of man or some philosophical discovery that could be perfected by human means. On men thus miserably mad, the reproach of Tertullian to the philosophers of his day falls with particular fittingness. That they, the philosophers, had published a Stoic, a Platonic, And a dialectic Christianity. And certainly, since our most holy religion was not invented by man, but invented in mercy by God to man, everyone must without difficulty see that religion, in fact, must derive all its force from the authority of the same God speaking, nor can in any wise be derived from or ever perfected by human reason. It behooves human reason indeed diligently to inquire into the fact of divine revelation, that it may be clear that God has spoken and that to him that, according to the very wise teaching of the apostle, he may render a reasonable obedience. For who is ignorant, who can be ignorant, that implicit faith is to be given to God when he speaks, and that nothing can be more consistent with right reason, than a firm consent and adhesion to those things which shall be proved to have been revealed by a God, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. But how numerous, how wonderful, how splendid are the arguments by which human reason should most lucidly be convinced, that the religion of Christ is divine, and that every principle of our dogmas has taken its root from the Lord of the heavens on high. And moreover, that nothing more certain more secure, more holy, or which is founded on firmer principles, exists. To wit, this faith, the instructress of life, the expeller of all vices, the fruitful parent and nurse of all virtues, confirmed by the birth, life, death, resurrection, wisdom, wonders and prophecies of Christ Jesus, her author and finisher, radiant on every side with the light of heavenly doctrine and laden with the treasures of heavenly riches, illustrious and distinctly marked by the predications of so many prophets, the splendor of so many miracles, the constancy of so many martyrs, the glory of so many saints, proclaiming the saving laws of Christ, gaining day by day more strength from the most cruel persecution themselves. Hath, the cross her only banner, journeyed by land and sea the whole earth, having beaten down the falsehood of idolatry, scattered the darkness of error, triumphed over enemies of every kind. She has enlightened all people, all nations, however savagely barbarous, however diversified by disposition, manners, laws and institutions, with the light of divine knowledge, and announcing peace and good tidings, Has brought them under the most sweet yoke of Christ, all which shine forth on every side with such a splendor of wisdom and power that every mind and thought may easily understand that the Christian faith is the work of God. Therefore human reason, from these most splendid and equally solid arguments, clearly and distinctly recognizing that God is the author of this same faith, can go no farther but throwing utterly aside every doubt and difficulty is bound to yield every obedience to faith, knowing with certainty that whatever faith proposes to men to be believed and done was delivered by God himself. Hence too plainly appears in what error they continue, who, abusing their reasoning powers and esteeming the words of God as human production, dare rashly to interpret it when God himself has appointed as living authority to teach the true and legitimate sense of his heavenly revelation, to establish it, to settle away all controversies on matters of faith and morals with an infallible decision, so that the faithful may not be carried about by every wind of the wickedness of men to the circumventing of error, which living and infallible authority exists only in that church which, built by Christ our Lord on Peter, the head, the chief and pastor of the whole church, whose faith he promised should never fail, has ever her legitimate pontiffs, deducing their origin without intermission from Peter himself, placed in his chair, heirs and possessors of the same doctrine, dignity, honor, and power. And since, where Peter is, there is the church, and Peter speaks by the Roman pontiff, and ever lives and exercises judgment in his successors, and gives forth the truth of faith to those seeking it. Therefore the divine words are clearly to be received in that sense which this Roman chair of blessed Peter, the mother and mistress of all churches, hath always preserved whole and inviolate, and is ever taught to the faithful, showing to all the path of safety and the doctrine of uncorrupted truth. For this is the chief of churches, From which the unity of the priesthood hath arisen. This is the center and metropolis of piety, wherein is the entire and perfect solidity of the Christian religion, in which the primacy of the apostolic chair hath ever flourished, to which, on account of its preeminent dignity, it is necessary that all churches, that is to say, the faithful, wheresoever found, should repair, with which whosoever gathereth not, scattereth. We, therefore, who by the inscrutable judgment of God have been seated in this chair of truth, appeal with earnestness in the Lord to your eminent piety, venerable brethren, that with all solicitude and zeal you may assiduously exert yourselves to admonish and exhort the faithful committed to your care, to the end that firmly adhering to these principles, they may never suffer themselves to be deceived or led away into error by those men who, having become abominable by their pursuits, under the pretense of human progress, labor to undermine faith, impiously to subject faith to reason, and to overthrow the revealed word of God, who hesitate not to offer the highest insult and outrage to God himself, who hath deigned by his holy religion most graciously to provide for the good of men here and their salvation hereafter. You are already well acquainted, Venerable Brethren, with other monsters of error and the frauds with which the children of the present age strive bitterly to beset the Catholic religion and the divine authority of the Church, to oppose its laws, and to trample on the rights of the sacred as well as of the civil power. To this point tend those guilty conspiracies against this Roman chair of the Blessed Peter on which Christ laid the irremovable foundations of his church. To this point tend the operations of those secret societies emerging from their native darkness for the ruin and devastation of the common weal, as well as sacred and social, who have been again and again condemned with anathema by the Roman pontiffs, our predecessors, in their apostolic letters, which we, in the plenitude of our apostolic power, confirm and command to be most strictly observed. This also is the tendency and design of those insidious Bible societies, which, renewing the crafts of the ancient heretics, cease not to obtrude upon all kinds of men, even the least instructed, gratuitously and at immense expense. Copies in vast numbers of the books of the sacred scriptures translated against the holiest rules of the Church into various vulgar tongues and very often with the most perverse and erroneous interpretations to the end that divine tradition the doctrine of the fathers and the authority of the catholic church being rejected every man may interpret the revelations of the almighty according to his own private judgment and perverting their sense fall into the most dangerous errors which societies amulus of his predecessor gregory the 16th of blessed memory to whose place we have been permitted to succeed without his merits, reproved by his apostolic letter and we desire equally to condemn. Still, to the same point tends that horrible system, extremely repugnant even to the light of natural reason, of indifference to any kind of religion, by which these impostors, abolishing all distinction between truth and falsehood, between honesty and baseness, pretend to secure eternal salvation to men of any form of worship whatsoever, as if it were possible that there should be any participation of justice with iniquity, any association of light with darkness, any agreement between Christ and Belial. To this point tends that infamous conspiracy against the sacred celibacy of the clergy, which, O shame, has been encouraged even by some ecclesiastics, who, miserably forgetful of their proper dignity, have suffered themselves to be overcome and drawn aside by the seductions and the blandishments of illicit pleasure. To this point tends that perverse theory of education, especially in philosophy, which in a most pitiable manner deceives and corrupts ingenuous youth, and commends to it the gall of the dragon in the chalice of Babylon. To this point tends the shameful doctrine, so especially adverse to natural right, of what is called communism, a doctrine which, if once admitted, the rights of all men, their property, their privileges, nay, the social system itself, even from its foundation, would be overthrown. Again, to this same point, tend the darkly hidden snares of those who, with the outside of the sheep, but ravening wolves within, under the false and fraudulent pretense of a purer piety, of severer virtue, and with an appearance of humility enter in, mildly take, softly bind, secretly slay and deter men from the observance of any religious worship, and kill and tear to pieces the sheep of the Lord. Lastly, to this point tends, omitting other things which are well observed by and fully known to you, that most foul plague of books and pamphlets, flying everywhere and inculcating sin, which books, being ably written and full of fallacies and artfulness, are spread abroad throughout all parts, among Christian people, at enormous expense, and everywhere disseminate pestiferous doctrines, depraving the minds and souls, especially of the incautious, and working the greatest possible injuries to religion. From this overflow of errors and the unbridled license of thinking, speaking, and writing, public manners are deteriorated, the most holy religion of Christ despised, the majesty of the divine worship scorned, the power of this apostolic see is thwarted, the authority of the Church opposed and reduced to a vile servitude, the rights of bishops trampled underfoot, the sanctity of marriage violated, the influence of all power melted away and with so many other evils to the Christian commonwealth as well as to the civil state that we are compelled, venerable brethren, to weep over them and mingle our tears with yours. Therefore, In such vicissitudes of religious affairs, and in such critical periods, we being earnestly solicitous for the safety of the whole flock of the Lord divinely committed to our care, shall certainly not leave untried or unattempted any duty of our apostolic ministry, by which, with all our strength, we may seek counsel for the good of the whole Christian family. But at the same time we earnestly in the Lord appeal to your eminent piety and prudence, venerable brethren, that with help from heaven you may with us boldly defend the cause of God and of his holy church as becomes the place you hold and the dignity with which you are invested. That it becomes you to fight valiantly, you will understand, as you are not ignorant with how many and how great wounds the stainless spouse of Christ is pierced. And with how fierce an assault of bitter enemies she is beset. You know especially to defend and preserve the Catholic faith with episcopal strength and firmness, and to watch with unceasing care that the flock committed to you may be retained in that faith firmly and immovably, which unless one preserves whole and uncorrupted, without doubt he shall perish eternally. In order, therefore, to preserve and protect this faith by the discharge of your pastoral duties, apply yourselves diligently and without ceasing to instruct in it all men, to confirm those who waver, to convince those who gainsay it, to strengthen the weak in faith, never overlooking or enduring anything which may appear even in the slightest degree to violate the purity of the faith. With no less energy of mind, You should encourage in all things union with this Catholic Church, beyond which there is no salvation, and obedience towards this chair of St. Peter, whereon the whole superstructure of our holy religion rests, as on a secure foundation. And with equal constancy, watch over the keeping of the most holy laws of the Church, by which indeed virtue, religion, and piety do best increase and flourish. And as it is great piety to lay bare the lurking places of the wicked and in them to overcome the devil himself whom they serve, we entreat and admonish you that with all diligence and labor you expose to the faithful the multiform snares, deceptions, errors, frauds and machinations of evil men, and that you diligently turn them away from pestiferous books and strenuously exhort them. That flying away as from the face of a serpent, from the sects and the associations of the impious, they may most carefully avoid all things that are hurtful to the integrity of faith, religion, and morals. For this purpose, let it never happen that you desist from preaching the gospel, for by that means the Christian people, becoming daily more instructed in the precepts of the most holy Christian law, may increase in the knowledge of God, avoid evil and do good, and walk in the way of the Lord. And as you know that your ministry is the ministry of Christ, who declared himself meek and humble of heart, and who came to call not the just but sinners, leaving to us an example that we might follow in his footsteps, do not fail in the spirit of lenity and meekness, with fatherly admonition and advice to correct, reprove, entreat, or rebuke, in all gentleness, with patience and doctrine, those whom you find breaking the commandments of the Lord, and straying from the paths of truth and justice, as benevolence is often more efficacious in correction than authority, entreaty more than menace, and charity more than power. This also, venerable brothers, strive with all your energies to accomplish, that the faithful may cultivate charity, seek peace, zealously perform the duties of charity and peace, so that all dissensions, enmity, strife, and envyings being destroyed, all may delight in mutual charity, and being perfectly of one mind and one feeling, they may feel and speak and know the same things in Christ Jesus our Lord apply yourselves to inculcate on the Christian people the due obedience and subjection toward princes and powers, teaching according to the admonition of the Apostle, that there is no power except it be of God, and that to resist power of God's ordination is to draw down condemnation on themselves. And therefore the precept to obey the powers that be can never now, by any individual, be violated without crime, unless indeed, the thing commanded, be opposed to the laws of God and the Church. Now, as there is nothing which more incites others to piety and constantly disposes them to the worship of God than the life and example of those who dedicate themselves to the divine ministry, and as the priests are, so does it often happen, the people are also, you will, in your singular wisdom, perceive, Venerable Brothers, That it will behoove you to use great care and zeal, that in the clergy a gravity of manners, integrity of life, holiness and learning may shine out, and ecclesiastical discipline be strictly preserved, as prescribed by the canons of the church and where it has lapsed may be restored to pristine splendor. Therefore, as you very well know, it becomes you to be wary, That according to the precept of the apostle, you may not hastily or lightly impose hands on any one, and that you initiate into holy orders, or admit to the administration of the sacred ministries, those only who, strictly and carefully examined and proved, appear adorned with all virtues, and regarded with approval by the wise, may become to your diocese both of use and ornament, and who, declining all things which are forbidden to the clergy, and lending themselves to reading, exhortation, and teaching, may be an example to the faithful, in word, deed, in charity, faith, and chastity, may win reverence from all men, and help to form the people's minds, and inflame and excite to the love of the Christian religion. For it is better, as Benedict the Fourteenth, our predecessor of blessed memory, said, to have fewer ministers but those honest, suitable, and useful than a larger number of men who, for the edification of the body of Christ which is the church, might be of no avail. You are not ignorant that you ought, with even greater care to inquire concerning the morals and the science of those to whom are committed the direction of souls, that they as faithful dispensers of the treasures of God's grace may continually apply themselves to support and assist the people confided to them by the administration of the sacraments, the preaching of the divine word, and the example of good works, instilling into them the precepts of the gospel and leading them into the paths of salvation. You know that a clergy being ignorant or negligent of their duties, the morals of the people also instantly fall away, Christian discipline is relaxed, the practice of religion abused, and all devices vices easily glide into that church. Lest that the word of God which, full of life and power and sharper than a two-edged sword, was established for the salvation of souls, should become unfruitful through the ministers, cease not, venerable brothers, to demand of the preachers of the divine word that being themselves deeply penetrated with that same divine word, that while considering in their own souls the gravity of their office, they may exercise their evangelic ministry not in the persuasive words of human wisdom, not with the parade and vanity of ambitious eloquence, but with the assistance of the Spirit and the virtue from on high. That rightly treating of the word of truth and preaching not their own selves but Christ crucified they may announce to the people in clear and intelligible language, yet in a style full of dignity, the dogmas and precepts of our holy religion according to the Catholic Church and the Fathers, so that by detailed explanations of individual duties all may be turned from crime and want to piety. And thus the faithful, fed and nourished by the word of God, may abstain from all vices, practice all virtues, escape eternal punishment, and attain to heavenly glory. In your episcopal solicitude, assiduously warn all ecclesiastics and exhort them to consider seriously the ministry which they have received from God, so that they exactly fulfill its obligations, that they may have at heart supremely the glories of God's house, that they give themselves up unceasingly to prayer. And the recitation of the canonical hours conformably to the precept of the Church, with a view to obtain divine assistance for the accomplishment of their important duties of appeasing God and rendering Him propitious to the Christian people. As you are not ignorant, Venerable Brothers, that the education of clerks is the only means of procuring good ministers for the Church, and that it exercises great influence throughout the whole course of life, Continue to use all your effects that young clerks may be formed, even from their tender years, to piety and solid virtue, to a knowledge of letters, to the study of the sciences, and above all, of sacred science. Having nothing so much at heart as to establish seminaries for clerks according to the precepts of the Fathers of Trent, where they do not exist, to increase and enlarge, if need be, those that are, to give them excellent superiors and masters, and to watch over them incessantly till young clerks be educated in the fear of the Lord, in the love of ecclesiastical discipline, may be there informed to the knowledge of the sacred sciences according to the Catholic doctrine and without any fear of error, taught the traditions of the Church and the writings of the Holy Fathers, instructed in ceremonies and sacred rites. You may add to them kind, skillful and courageous workmen, who, animated with the ecclesiastical spirit and formed by fitting studies, may in time cultivate the field of the Lord and diligently fight his battles. Moreover, understanding as you do, that nothing tends more to support and preserve the dignity and holiness of the priesthood than the pious institution of spiritual exercises, encourage with all your influence this salutary work. Cease not to exhort all those who have been called to the heritage of the Lord to withdraw themselves into some place proper for these exercises, so that, being freed from the distraction of external affairs and exclusively devoted to meditation on internal and divine truths, they may purify themselves from the stains contracted amid the dust of the world, steep themselves in the ecclesiastical spirit, lay aside the old man and his works, and clothe themselves with the new man, created in holiness and justice. If we have spoken at length on the subject of the education and discipline of the clergy, regret it not, for you know that there is a multitude of men who, disgusted with the variety, inconstancy and multiplicity of errors, feel the necessity of embracing our holy religion, and, with the blessing of God, They will decide the more easily on embracing the precepts and practices of this religion when they see that its clergy are distinguished from other men by the piety and purity of their life, the repute of their wisdom, and the example set by them of all the virtues. Finally, most dear brethren, we have the consoling conviction that, kindled as you are with an ardent charity towards God and man, inflamed with great love of the church, enriched with all but angelic virtues, gifted with episcopal courage and prudence, all animated with one holy desire, walking in the footsteps of and imitating, as becomes bishops, him whose ambassadors you are, Jesus Christ, the model of all pastors, become, through your union, the form and rule of the flock, enlightening with the rays of your holiness the clergy and the faithful, having bowels of mercy, compassionating the lot of those who wander into the darkness of ignorance and error. We have, we say, the consoling conviction that you are disposed, after the example of the shepherd in the gospel, to go eagerly in search of the sheep which is lost, to bear it with fatherly tenderness upon your shoulders, to bring it back to the flock, and that you will spare neither care nor counsel, nor labor to fulfill religiously the duties of the pastoral charge, to put in safety through the rage, the attacks, the ambuscades of ravishing wolves, the sheep that were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, confided to your care, and who are all very dear to us, to turn them from the poisons of error, to lead them into fat pastures, and bring them, by your care, your exertions and example, to the gates of eternal salvation. Advance with all your power, venerable brothers, the glory of God and of the Church, and by your activity, zeal, vigilance, and harmony, endeavor that all errors being dissipated and vices rooted out, faith, religion, piety, and virtue may increase from day to day in all places, and that all the faithful, renouncing the works of darkness, conduct themselves in a manner worthy of children of light, seeking in all things the good pleasure of God, and laboring to do all kinds of good works. In the midst of so many grave embarrassments, difficulties, and inseparable dangers, above all, at this present time of your Episcopal charge, be not beaten down with fear, but seek strength in the Lord, and confiding in the power of His grace, think that from the height of heaven He has fixed His eyes on those that struggle for the glory of His name, that He applauds those who venture nobly, that he aids those who fight and crowns those who conquer. As we love you all very dearly in the bowels of Jesus Christ, and desire nothing so much as to help you with our love, our counsels and our power, and to labour with you for the glory of God, the defence and propagation of the Catholic faith and the salvation of those souls for whom we are ready to sacrifice, if necessary, our own life, come then, we conjure you, venerable brethren, Come with open hearts and entire confidence to the See of the Blessed Prince of the Apostles, the center of Catholic unity and fount of episcopacy, whence the episcopate itself and all authority of that name was drawn. Come to us whenever you think that you have need of the help or protection of our authority and that of this Holy See. We confidently hope that our dear sons in Jesus Christ, the Princes, recollecting in their wisdom and piety that the regal power was given them not only for the government of the world but especially for the defense of the church, and that we maintain at one and the same time the cause of the church, that of their kingdoms and of their salvation, by which they enjoy in peace their authority over their provinces, that they will favor by their support and authority the vows and desires that we form in common and that they will defend the liberty and prosperity of the Church, in order that the right hand of Christ may defend their empires. To obtain the happy accomplishment of these wishes, let us go with confidence, venerable brothers, to the throne of grace, and all penetrated with a deep feeling of humility, address unceasingly to the Father of mercies and God of all consolation the most urgent prayers that by the merits of His only Son he may deign to spread over our weakness the abundance of his heavenly gifts, that he will overthrow our enemies by his powerful virtue, that he will make the faith flourish everywhere with truth and piety, devotion and peace, and that dissipating all errors and all oppositions, the church may enjoy her much desired liberty, and that there will be but one flock and one shepherd, and that the most merciful God, May more readily hear our prayers and grant our desires, let us have recourse to the intercession of the Most Holy Mother of God, the Immaculate Virgin Mary, our Most Sweet Mother, our Mediatrix, our Advocate, our Firmest Hope, the Source of our Confidence, and whose protection is most powerful and most efficacious with God. Let us invoke also the Prince of the Apostles to whom Christ gave the keys of the Kingdom of Heaven whom he chose for the foundation stone of his church, against which the gates of hell shall never prevail, and his co-apostle Paul and all the saints of heaven, who already crowned possess the palm, that they may shed down upon all Christian people the treasures of divine mercy. Finally, as the presage of these heavenly gifts, and in testimony of our great love towards you, Receive the apostolic benediction which we give from the bottom of our heart to you, our venerable brothers, to all the ecclesiastics and all the faithful laity confided to your charge, given at Rome at the Church of St. Mary the Greater on the ninth day of November in the year 1846, in the first year of our pontificate. End of encyclical letter, qui pluribus. On Faith and Religion by Pope Pius IX, read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C., Toulouse, France.